0: It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at Newstalk 710 KURV. I'll keep your eyes on the road, hand up on the wheel. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: Everybody's been talking about AI recently. And if you've been... Uh, browsing and perusing and checking the headlines. AI art is being a, it's a pretty big deal. And there's a couple of uh, big copyright battles I predict in the future, uh, because of how all this works. Most recently, there was a fake song made by AI of Drake and The Weeknd, so big that it caught the attention of the RIAA and Universal Music Group. And to talk a little bit about how this all works and what's to come, how all this would work in a courtroom, is John Rizvi, the patent professor from patentprofessor.com. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show. Uh, first off, tell us about the patentprofessor.com. What do you do?
2: Yeah, so I'm uh, an intellectual property attorney. I do a patent, trademark, copyright, law, uh, any new ideas, that's, that's our specialty.
1: And uh, for this Particular case. Uh, let's tell everybody what's going on before we get into the like the real dirty details of it legally. So, so what happened with, with the song?
2: Yeah. So there's a, a social media user, and nobody knows who he is. So uh, his, his screen name is Ghostwriter, and he used artificial intelligence to, to create a song uh, by Drake and The Weekend, almost as if it was a collaboration. Except neither Drake nor The Weekend, neither of them, uh, had authorized it or, or participated in it. It, it. it didn't even know about it until it started getting millions and millions of views. And uh, and this is you know like a, a change in artificial intelligence that's just uh, uh, just not anticipated by copyright law. The the copyright laws that we have, the Digi- Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Is from 1998 and it's it's over 25 years old it's just not adapting to how fast technology is changing
1: that is incredible that we're even in this predicament in the first place and that revelation you said 1998 that's how old it is
2: that's that's how old it is it, it sounds like a recent <laughs> kind of modern act the digital Millennium Copyright Act but if you think about it that was from Napster times right most, yeah. So most exactly, most people's cell phones back then were bricks. They they made phone calls, and that was it. There there was no cameras, no no internet access, no flashlights. It's it's a completely different world uh, that we're in now, and the act is not really is not really keeping up. I mean, the the AI, the sophistication that the software has now, where you can actually create uh, audio. That can fool pretty much fool anybody. It looks as if you've got the actual sounds. I mean, if you listen to that that sound, it sounds like Drake in the weekend. I mean, and they have uh, AI used to replicate all kinds of voices. Uh, uh, President Trump. There's there's AI of of him uh, saying things. And and how do you really know when you have an actual recording and when you don't, and when it's something created by AI? So it's there's there's a lot of uh, of, of issues that. Have never been dealt with before.
1: John Rizvi is the patent professor. He's our guest on your nine five six drive home. We're talking about some of the copyright battles that might be coming up in the future because of AI. And let me let me throw some out at you from the uh, arguments that I've seen on the internet from people that are kind of upset about this. In particular, there's a lot of AI artists out there, and they don't. Or there's. I take it back. There are a lot of animators out there and um, artists. Period out there that. Don't like AI art because they never gave their permission to the so-called, you know, database that the algorithm is pulling all of this artistic work from. And they're using it. And how do you claim that as your own? Nobody really drew that, is is one of the things that they're saying. Another one that was in the news recently, and this goes back to the 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 voice replication, is James Earl Jones signing his his voice rights over to Disney. <laughs> You know what I mean? So we we're we're very slowly getting uh, precedent, and we're we're slowly dipping our toe in the water. But uh, in the case of AI art, and in the case of these artists and animators and drawing people, uh, illustrators, I should say, that are upset about AI, do they have? Would would you say that they have any legal ground to sue somebody over this? And who would you sue? The computer?
2: Yeah. So clearly, uh, the software. Could be sued as a contributory infringer, like their their software is making the infringement possible. Um, uh, You know, so they have those concerns. Another concern uh, that that there's really no uh, clarity on yet is who is entitled to the copyright. Like you know, under U.S. copyright law, an author has to be a human, and uh, some of these these artists that are using AI to create. Work. They're claiming that the AI is just a tool, no different than a pen uh, for a writer or a, uh, a paintbrush for a painter or a chisel for a, a sculptor. However, AI is a different animal altogether. Like the paintbrush doesn't have a mind of its own. It doesn't just create it. There's there's a lot of control that the author has. Uh, but, you know, with, with AI-generated art, the human being is simply giving prompts. it could be a prompt as simple as uh, get me a frog with a horse's head and that's the human input the rest of it is done by the software and when you get this final design uh, there's two issues one is who's entitled to a copyright for that is simply saying frog with a horse's head is that enough creativity to entitle them to a copyright but the bigger issue is is that AI is is using, and that's what I think you alluded to there, it doesn't have a mind of its own. It's going through a database of existing artists' works. So all of the frog paintings and drawings and and graphics that are out there, plus all the, the horse's head paintings and graphics, it's taking a compilation of both. And where's the protection for the original artists?
1: Yeah, if I'm asking AI, if I'm asking the AI to draw me a picture of Spider Man, it doesn't know what Spider Man is. It's consulting the air quotes database of every image of Spider Man that it can find on the internet, which includes a lot of different and and very um, unique art styles from people that never gave it consent to draw in that likeness in in the first place. Joining us on seven hundred and ten KURV is John Rizvi, the patent professor. Davis Rankin, your question, go ahead. If A broadcast facility
3: or a store, this is going to be general, play music from, let's say, Drake and then The weekend songs. We use their music. We play a song from Drake as bumper music, music to pass the time. We have to report that to the companies that monitor all this so that the artists can get paid for their work, so they get the royalties and... How does AI, who's going to, to pay, are they going to have to pay royalties to, somebody have to pay royalties on all this?
2: Yeah, so that's that's covered by the, the DMCA or the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and okay. that's where you have this takedown notice. So under this act, if the internet service provider, the ISP, or in this case, it could be Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, uh, they're, they're sent a takedown notice. Uh, that that a copyright owner or somebody considers that their rights to be infringed, and now in order to avoid liability, the ISP is allowed to to remove the portion of the work, and if they remove it, then there's they can avoid liability. So that's actually what's happening, which is why when this song by uh, not even I don't even it's not even a song by Drake in the weekend, but this this social media user Ghostwriter when they had this song on there was a dmca takedown notice so that's why the song started disappearing from spotify Uh, apple music amazon youtube it started being taken down so the isps could avoid liability for that
1: what about things like uh fair use or parody or things like that like if i for example if if i a voice impersonator did a did a sketch with donald trump okay everybody Here's the thing. We're going to talk about the thing for a little bit. How is that different from getting the the AI to emulate the voice and do the thing?
2: Yeah, and that's, uh, you bring up a good point. It's, uh, you know, in in one sense, it's not. On the other sense, it's uh, extremely difficult to tell the difference. I mean, if you were to do it, uh, it's clearly not going to be, you know, yours is pretty good, by the way, <laughs> right now uh but it's you know but the the sophistication level of ai is just on a completely different level like i don't like it's, it's yeah. i don't know if it's uh, how they would even be able to 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 distinguish an ai generated voice from the actual artist or the actual person who, there, who spoke i mean they're having a, professors and teachers are having a hard enough time in essays trying to determine when the students have actually written uh, the essay versus when they've used ChatGPT, uh, and ChatGPT is the author.
3: When when um, a recording is put through a machine, I don't know how to describe it. You'll you'll see on a screen little squiggles as it follows the the tone, the tone of the voice. Does the same replication, electronic replication, take place? On AI, with
2: AI? Yeah, so I'm, not, I'm not sure. Yeah, I can't figure uh, out. Because exactly. there's several different AI uh, generating software that's out there. So I'm not sure how they, they all work. But the okay. end result is not, uh, you know, it's is, is, is very difficult to tell from the original voice. And there's currently there's no... Uh, uh, the, the the problem with the law is that law is always lags behind technology. So yeah. right now, for example, you have on Amazon books, and no requirement that an author identify when ChatGPT or AI has been used to create the work versus when it's the author's own work. Um, oh, and that's, that's a good. That's one. really becomes the issue. Like mm-hmm. no one knows when you're buying a book if it's just going to be a book created by AI. Why would you pay for it? Why wouldn't you? Just, just use ChatGPT and put the query in yourself.
1: That's very true. I, I do think there needs to be a distinction there. Also, too, since we were talking about James Earl Jones, who's the voice of Darth Vader, Star Wars, Disney, the whole thing, uh, he had signed over his voice rights. There was another fight recently in the voice actor community of uh, people signing over their voice rights. I or, or take it back. No, I think it was... I don't even know how to, how to word this properly, but some people were taking voices from voice actors and they were getting upset because hey that's basically yeah. my bread you know you're that's stealing. my money that's stealing you're stealing from me cuz that's the only thing that i've got to me that's mine is my voice you yeah. know so so how where where what does the, the law do where, where does the law stand in something like that
2: yeah so this is a case where the law is actually really strong in in, in terms of the rights of uh, of publicity, which is the right to control and profit from your image, your face, uh, including your voice, your likeness. There, there's no doubt that in a case like this, uh, those rights are strong. The problem is when a social media user releases something; it's immediate. Like this was within a matter of days. I, I believe there's 15 million views uh, by the you know the, by the time. A lawsuit is filed uh, how do you actually end up preventing that song from it's all over the place even now even with the DMCA takedown notice yes so you have Spotify Apple music Amazon YouTube they've removed it but what's happened in the interim is that individual users millions of users have downloaded uh, the song and then uploaded it on their own accounts so now you not only have uh, you know it's just where's the effective remedy you know a a right without a remedy is is useless so yes you do have uh, legal rights but a lawsuit just takes so long to get to an actual final judgment and how do you take it you know how do you effectively sue Three million internet
1: users. <laughs> very, very slowly. And, and I'm, uh, I'm guilty of <clears throat> downloading it because that song was a banger, by the way. Uh, Davis Rankin, your final question for John Rizvi, the patent professor.
3: Uh, in, in this line of work in radio and TV, too, I suppose, people do voiceovers for commercials. What's to stop uh, an owner from, I don't know, buying a computer and installing chat GPT and doing all the narration that way for commercials?
2: Yeah. Again, it becomes it's really difficult to enforce. Like that's that's really it. it it's just
3: but that's doable. The
2: economics of enforcement um, becoming become really difficult. Now, that's why a lot of times that's why the DMCA is is being used, even though it's not really the best, because there is no copyright protection for someone's voice. Your voice itself is not protected under copyright law, oh. and this. Social media user Ghostwriter, writer, they didn't, they weren't passing off the song as being an actual song by Drake in The Weeknd. They're really upfront. They said, "Hey, this is an AI-generated song," uh, and also they, you know, they weren't claiming that it's their voice. They weren't claiming it's the original artist. Uh, so it's a relatively weak position from a, a copyright infringement situation, but that's the fastest way to get this taken down. Because the DMCA takedown notice, uh, you know, helps avoid liability for the ISP if they if they get note this notice and they take it down after receiving the notice. So so it's an effective, much more effective remedy, much faster remedy. Because once the song went went up, it was taken off within two days. Like yeah. When if you had to actually file a lawsuit. And, uh, you know, the lawyer would still be working on the contract. To get they it. they just wanted it gone. The-
1: yeah, I hear you. <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. ThePatentProfessor.com. John Risby joining us on Newstalk 710 KURV.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. It's called the Radiopotami app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: We are joined by Scott Braddock from the Quorum Report to talk about all things Austin right now on... Davy had his hand ho- his hand up already. What was your question, Davey, for Scott? Go ahead. It has nothing to do with
3: the legislature. It has to do with the expansion of Major League Baseball.
1: Okay, let's stay on topic and do Austin for a second, okay? <laughs> so what's, what's ha- what are the big things that are happening in Austin? Let's, let's pick three and, and talk about those right now.
4: The big three right now, like the big three are fighting with each other. They're not on the same page. Uh, I'm talking about Governor Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, and the Speaker, Dave Phelan. Did you see this afternoon – that the speaker sort of answered uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick about uh, wanting to have a special session or not. You know, Patrick's been saying that there should be special sessions, multiple special sessions if necessary. And, uh, you know, uh, the lieutenant governor just yesterday said that he'd be willing to, uh, in a way, this is not the word he used, but sort of sabotage the state budget in order to force a special session about um, a couple of things, including his property tax proposal, uh, Davis, and not not necessarily – the school voucher issue that we can get into it because he did talk about that as well, but basically Patrick saying I don't have any plans for the summer. If you guys don't pass all this conservative stuff, then the legislature needs to you know stay here.
1: I was going to ask um, you well, what you meant by sabotage.
4: sabotage. Uh, well, it basically just not pass it, just not have the Senate pass it. Um, which you might remember in twenty seventeen, the lieutenant governor he bragged about this in the last week. He bragged about how in seventeen he did basically orchestrate a special session and it was aimed at the bathroom bill passing that. Um, But he leaves out of the interviews that he's doing, he leaves out the fact that the bathroom bill didn't pass anyway, right? When he, when he orchestrated a a special session in 17. So it seemed to a lot of people to to be wasting a lot of time. Well, the speaker this afternoon, he tweeted out an image of himself uh, shirtless with his, uh,
3: he looks pretty good. Unless unless that's Photoshop.
4: You know, they said the guy's got a six pack. And he's ready to rock. And uh, he basically just said, "Hey, looking forward to some tasty waves yeah. this summer. Yeah, when the when the legislature uh, leaves, sign and die. When the when the legislature's out, uh, so the the speaker indicating he does have plans for the summer.
1: Hashtag really single and ready Austin. to mingle.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, he's happily married, is my understanding. Uh, yeah, Scott pass- Braddock or, from the, the Coral pass- Report joins us in with his wife.
1: Uh, live in Austin for uh, your nine five six drive home. Let's talk about." Uh, some of the gun bills that have been going back and forth concerning, uh, well, first off, gun bills and to the Uvalde schools. I'm oh, sorry, no, 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 the bill based off of having armed personnel on campus.
4: Yeah, moving more in that direction. You might remember we already have uh, what's called a school of marshal program uh, in the states uh, where uh, these different campuses, school districts can sign up to be part of that. This is moving that more in that direction, having at least one armed person at every campus um, around the state offering uh, resources of training for teachers to carry uh, on campus. Um, Of course, you may have seen where there was a marathon all-night hearing uh, last week uh, where a lot of the Uvalde families came in and stayed, I think, until 4 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, something like that, testifying about – uh, you know what the kind of legislation they would like to see, which of course Zach is um, more actual gun restrictions. The Republicans coming down and saying what we need is more school security. We need more armed folks at the campuses. Um, and these Uvalde families saying what we need to do, uh, for example, one of the one of the big ones they want is the raising raising uh, raising of the age to twenty one uh, for the purchase of certain firearms, including uh, the kind of uh, the kind of rifle that was used in Uvalde. Which of course we know that type of rifle have been used in so many of the mass shootings across the country
3: and, and that's a u- ubiquitous caliber's the point two two three or five point five six It's a American military standard, although I think they're moving to a different different kind of um, different kind of uh, armament um, but they're every yeah they're they're uh, so there's just no there's just no agreement on well, I'm spluttering because I can't figure a way to su- to satisfy those folks short of some we're, really big const- restriction on gun ownership.
1: We're joined by Scott Brandt yep. from the Quorum Report up in Austin, our guest on your nine five six drive home. We're talking about the latest from the Texas Ledge, you, and uh, guns were on the guns were uh, part of, I guess, the festivities for this week. Uh, what, what were some of the other things that that are being discussed right now?
4: biggest thing going between the lieutenant governor and the speaker is the property tax question. And, you know, you have some detractors who would say that all of this is silly because what they're talking about, uh, whether it's the House plan or the Senate plan, they're talking about spending between 15 and $17 billion to either raise the homestead exemption for people or lower the uh, appraisal caps down to 5% for homeowners and for businesses. Uh, but if you do the math on it, the amounts that you're saving for property owners, for the average person you're talking about, you know, the amount of maybe a Chili's gift card, which isn't bad. I mean, who doesn't <laughs> like a, a gift card, you know, for
1: <laughs> well, who doesn't like you know, for Chili's? drinks and some food? <laughs> you get a gift That's card and a gold star. Yeah,
4: right. <laughs> so, is, is
3: there a real difference between the amount these save uh, or, or is it just pride that. involved?
4: There's dispute about that. At this point, I do feel like it's a lot of pride because um, the speaker... Uh, feeling, you know, he has said, you know, since the beginning of the session, he had said that look, his his preferred plan is to lower the appraisal cap to five percent from ten percent where it is now. And when he first started talking about it, Davis, it was more along the lines of him saying, hey, look, this is our idea, but we're open to other ideas too. Um, on the other side of the building, with the lieutenant governor, he has said, look, we're we're going to increase the homestead exemption, it wants to go up to seventy thousand for uh, folks, a hundred thousand for seniors, <laughs> um, and He's dug in on that. That takes a lot of
3: property off the roads.
4: Yeah, he, but he doesn't think there's any – and that's why it's so expensive. Uh, the state has to, you know, backfill the school districts on that. So bottom line is the lieutenant governor did not talk about it the way the speaker did. The lieutenant governor said, this is my idea, and this is what we're doing. You know, I'm not doing – I have no other ideas I'm open to. I don't care about what the speaker's plan is. There's no coming together on this. The Senate's not going to compromise with the House. Uh, and I heard uh, the lieutenant governor in an interview yesterday uh, reiterating that and, and really focusing in on that point of conflict with the speaker rather than anything else as far as why we might need a special session this summer if they just can't work it out.
3: Are these intellectual disagreements over policy, or are they personal?
4: <laughs> it really has become personal. Um, I, I, you know, I, Again, I think it's interesting that the speaker started out by saying I'm open to other ideas now in recent weeks he seems to have doubled down more on the proposal that he put forward that that the house put forward um and has argued that that's the way to go and i don't know that they can't work it out davis i mean we've we've seen this over and over and over again in legislative sessions here in austin and i will for your listeners just remind all of you all that as we are talking this afternoon there are thirty-four days, six hours, nine minutes, and twenty-seven seconds left in this legislative session. We always have the countdown going at forumreport.com. Yeah. This is the part of the part of the session where that's the most popular thing on our website. Is <laughs> people can't. People <laughs> yeah. in Austin can't wait to get out of here. How long, the Lord? Like, how long? Were you ever, were you, uh, were you ever on a flight where you can uh, update the app and it's telling you in real time how long the flight is? Yeah, it's, it's only two more hours. And it's only three more hours. Yeah, keep, keep refreshing, keep refreshing. Um, with that amount of time. I'll tell you i've seen it time and again they have time to work this out i've seen many examples where the house and senate leadership both seem to be really dug in about whatever the proposal is there's this big difference they're at an impasse uh and then in that last you know two weeks ten days whatever that you know suddenly like magic they will work out their differences come to some compromise because people start to realize that clock's running down they want to get out of here and they don't want to have a special session and i will say that the lieutenant governor's comments yesterday on the Chad Hasty show up in Lubbock made me think that he doesn't really want to have a special session. He was only talking about it really for the property tax issue and not about school vouchers. He declined to say whether he would yeah. force a special session about school vouchers, which he had sort of said that he wanted to do uh, going back to January and February. Well, so I think maybe he he may even be backing up off of that.
3: That was before <clears throat> that was before the people spoke right on on. On, on, yeah, on vouchers that was, but if you yeah. back your opponent no matter how tough you talk Mr. Expert here no matter how tough you talk with somebody about something if you make it personal or don't give them the ability to save face or not look like they're giving in to you or right. being bullied into it then you mm-hmm. can come to a conclusion but I get the impression from the way the lieutenant governor talks it, it, it gets kind of personal fast and he seems really to be impervious fast. to personal slides but hey this is a, like this is kind of a pet project
1: care. of mine uh scott yeah. but yeah uh, have you heard anything of that bill that was going to require a special session for every extension of any declaration the governor puts out because this is like We're, right right alongside that
4: yeah it, it really hasn't gotten any traction that deal <laughs> and, and remember they they did pass there was a version of that that was passed it didn't make its way all the way through the uh, process in the last legislative session in 2021, but it was hotly debated at that time. And of course, remember, um, in 2021, in the midst of pandemic restrictions, people were so mad about you know things that had gone down just the year before in 2020 that there was a lot more appetite for that yeah. kind of thing to to really you know make sure that there's a check on the governor that he can't just make all these decisions on his own. Yeah. Um, but it did seem in in that session in 21 that with a lot of uh, kabuki theater going on. I, I, I house, knew it would be a snowball's chance that
1: session. the yeah. session would or that the ledge would like to meet up for every single extension of every single declaration that the governor put out. I'm sorry. Oh, we, we got to get going. Uh, uh, thanks for joining us again, thanks, Scott. Man. Scott Braddock from the Quorum Report up in Austin joining us on News Talk 710 KURV.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: There has been some talks recently of some regulations coming down on... Natural gas power plants by the Biden administration and we'll just get a check on gas prices in general. Tim Snyder from Matador Economics, MatadorEconomics.com, check out the newsletter, joins us now. And uh, what what have you heard so far about these regulations coming down on these power plants?
5: It's ridiculous. It is just once again more of the same um, gaslighting is really the best it's the best term. And actually, I think you guys called it that last time we talked, but it's gaslighting the public uh, with what they're trying to do, not just to the fossil fuels, but, you know, what they're trying to do to this overall economy, guys.
1: <laughs> we would say something like that, that it's gaslighting. We would say something punny like that. Uh, so uh, what, yeah. what, what are the specifics of this?
5: Well, what they're looking at is it's the new rules that, that are proposed. Uh, out of the biden administration are carbon capture rules for gas powered power plants. Now you have to understand that what's been going on is that they have been gasifying, if you will, or switching these coal these big coal fired plants that we have around the country to natural gas just to man- just to manage um, our demand for um, energy for electricity, and you know try to keep these plants producing. That's why there's something. I there's there's so many years of of available natural gas. It's inexpensive, and it's a it's a very good process. Um, it goes counter to the extreme left wing of the environmental party that's in charge in Washington D.C. right now, and they are doing everything they can to now vilify natural gas, which is you know, you've heard people call it, they, we went from clean coal to clean natural gas. It's cl- it's cheaper, it's cleaner than coal and, you know, now we got a big mess on our hands.
1: Joining us on 710 KURV is Tim Snyder from Matador Economics. Tell us the, how does the whole natural gas process work for, for these power plants? I was always under the understanding that natural gas was relatively clean.
5: It is clean. That, that's the goofy part about it and but they just don't want us to use it on top of this it's almost not clean enough because within the epa there is a there's a there's a group that's trying to hold back these regulations to make them meteor that's the reason why they haven't put them into effect yet but they will do that through the uh through the epa and then there's the issue of permitting and allowing the existing plants that are have been coming online or been transitioning from coal to natural gas they're dragging their feet now I, I, are you guys familiar with what with the term japanese inspection
1: no,
3: no.
5: okay this is what they're doing a the japanese inspection and I'm, I'm not being pejorative here i just want people to understand japanese inspection is when the japanese get in a load of let's say vegetables or fruit they don't like the price so what they do is they let the the produce sit on the dock for a couple of days, to where it goes from a nice, beautiful, firm, ready-to-eat uh, produce to start to starting to decay, and then they pay you based off of that second grading of the product that comes through there. It's a it's a tool that they use to lower lower the overall expectations of fair trade between the two, and that's the techniques that they use, and that's what they're doing with these natural gas plants. They're Japanese-inspecting
1: these plants. Davis Rankin, go ahead.
3: Well, um, like what – is there some proposed rule? Number one, who's proposing and then what has to happen? And number two, um, what – do you have anything specific? I realize it's going to be a raft of detailed stuff, but anything that novices like us can understand? Bottom line, the focus
5: is not, you know, they they'll, it, it, it's once again, as we've talked about this many times, this is death by a thousand cuts. They're mm-hmm. going after each individual measurement item that they have in certifying these plants and drawing out the details. And by doing that, they extend the period of time for approval and for getting these plants online. What happens then is you guys very well know down there in the valley with the plants that they're looking at Porter Brownsville on the LNG plant, same sort of deal. Your investors that commit early get frustrated and they start to either not commit or or continue their commitment or they just won't commit upfront because there's the fear that the government's gonna drag this out and it's not a good viable investment for the long term that's what they're doing they're coming at every angle that they can and they want to accomplish this by 2030 and there's one more issue that it's important for people to understand jennifer granholm today said she's the secretary of energy for the biden administration that they plan on electrifying the u.s military by 2030 completely
3: explain that would you
5: yeah, uh, no, th- that's like exactly Tanks right. will so be running on batteries? Stop. Tanks will be running on batteries. Ships will be running on, well, the ones that are on nuclear, they're going to have to be switching to batteries and doing the things that they're doing there. Um, you know, any sort of vehicle that the military uses, um, which it wouldn't, you know, we're going to have to have a discussion about the Air Force as well because, you know, gonna, we're going to fly, what, an hour and a half and then go back home and, and plug in in the, in the hangar for for 21 no, hours so we no. can get the plane back up. Is that no, the, cool one, the, one thing,
1: the, the only thing that I would be looking forward to for an electrified military is if we got those laser beams with the battery backpacks. You know what I mean? Like, that's the only thing I'd be kind of down for. <laughs> but I don't know about yeah. those others.
3: Well, stuff. but the only
5: but the problem with that is that laser beams only come with sharks, you know, or maybe an ill tempered bath with a laser <laughs> beam. But then again, um, that's that's
1: awesome powers in I'm sorry. All all we can afford, as per the the, <laughs> the the GOP debt limit bill recently, is just goldfish. So we have laser guided goldfish. Yeah, that's and disposable. Do. And that's the kind uh, Tim, of goldfish that come in a bag. So there. Davis Rankin, go ahead with your question for Tim Snyder of Matador
3: Economics. Um, taking it at face value, is that did is anyone said how this is? I would think that. If they really do start to try to transition the uh, armed forces, uh, which are stationed all over the world, that there's a cost to this, and that if um, they do what they want to do with uh, natural gas-powered electricity, uh, that would increase – I assume that would increase cost. Is there any talk about how that would be paid for? I realize that talking about budgets is is arcane, is is a quaint notion, but – do you talk about how they're going to pay for yeah,
5: this? You know, Davis, you always bring it to that one point. And let me just tell you, this is the other shoe to drop with Jennifer Granholm. They're going to pay for this electrification by not allowing countries like Russia and Ukraine and China and whoever else has, happens to have to decide to be imperialistic and go after and start a war somewhere by not allowing ourselves to be dependent on fossil fuels anymore. And so in their mind, some remote crevice back in the back corners of their mind, they think that saves money, and they don't realize that the more weakness we demonstrate and show from this country feeds more of that kind of activity. But that's how they say they're gonna pay for it, by eliminating the costs associated like last year apparently they're they're tying all the increase that went through gasoline and diesel prices in well 2021 not 2022 Tim. uh they're tying that all to uh the Ukra- the russian invasion of ukraine that, that's, this not, is, Tim, this is, that's not that's not
1: realistic this is this is why i feel I like this is a logistic problem because it right. was revealed with this new york city parking garage collapse that electric vehicles yeah. weigh a lot more than gas-powered vehicles uh, I think right. they had compared the the H two e ev- or sorry the the yeah the H two Hummer the gas powered one versus the electric powered one and they're basically the same size but the electric one is about two thousand pounds heavier. So now we've got a and, new and remember- logistical problem of transporting these heavier vehicles, no matter what they may be, whether they're you know uh, a ship or a tank or whatever, and they're going to be even heavier now.
5: Right. And remember, in the like in the state of Texas, I'm not sure about other states, but I can tell you in the state of Texas, your vehicle is taxed by the state based on its weight. Oh, <laughs>
3: I didn't know that. <laughs>
5: yep. You remember
1: when people were saying about EVs, like uh, when they were first coming out, like, oh, you're not going to have to pay the gasoline tax. Don't worry about that. <laughs> don't
5: worry about that. Right, so we and just the- offset it by adding another tax that goes straight to the to the to the state's poppers This whole thing has gotten so ridiculous and what's crazy is that there are people, guys that just
3: believe it. Yo, I I who, we gotta, which country, we, hey Tim, which country has just switched yes. from natural gas or rather from nuclear power to coal? Germany. Well, yeah, and let me
5: tell you, what what did the EU decide? The EU decided to put uh, more And remember, here's here's an interesting point. Germany is less a prominent factor in what goes on in the EU and more developing their relationships between China and Russia.
1: And we'll leave it there on that ominous note. Thanks a lot. It's a Thank good cliffhanger you. for next time, Tim. Uh, Tim Snyder from Matador Economics. Check out the newsletter at com. You're listening to Talk 710 KURV.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: We say welcome back and hello to the the program. Bob Price from Breitbart, Texas. Check out some of the border stories at Breitbart.com slash border. And uh, El Paso has been seeing a lot of traffic recently, but as a whole... Uh, We've been seeing a big spike in apprehensions, a 25% jump as part of the southwest border, and we're approaching some pretty big numbers, but I'll let Bob Price uh, tell that story. So where do we stand right now, and where are the the big, heavy trafficking spots in Texas?
6: Well, certainly El Paso has risen back to the top again. We're seeing approximately 10,000 migrants per week uh, crossing the border into the El Paso region. So that's going to be about forty thousand, forty-five thousand again th- this coming month for April. Uh, it was up again in March, and you know it's interesting. The Biden administration very quickly got their reports out in in uh, January and February when when the numbers were down, but now that they're back up again, they waited until after close of business yesterday to sneak the report out. So we're keeping an eye on them, and uh, the numbers are. Are jumping again. Tucson sector is jumping a lot, and uh, you know we're still seeing all the same dangers in in the rest of the state of Texas, where you have these high speed pursuits and uh, migrants being smuggled in the in the back of eighteen wheelers and the trunks of cars. You know, it's a very dangerous situation.
1: You know, you made such a good point there that they had uh, the Biden administration. January, February, we're like, yeah, hey, nothing to see here. See, you know, whatever Biden's doing, it's working. The problem is going away; it'll just go away. And then as things started warming up, as the Border Patrol had mentioned, it's because of the the winter season. As things start warming up, hey, the numbers is that spike uh, spike back up, and no word from the Biden administration on all that. So why? And we're we're in the the RGV sector. Why is it that a lot of the traffic? kind of decided to head El Paso's direction, and they don't like to come through here as much anymore.
6: Well, you saw a massive enforcement action take place down in the Rio Grande Valley a couple years ago. Uh, The Border Patrol moved in a whole lot of new people. The Trump administration was building some more walls and connecting some of the gaps that were in between walls down there. And so it became more and more difficult for them to, to cross in that area. So first you saw the move to the Del Rio sector, uh, which became inundated certainly with the Haitian migrant crisis, but then again, uh, a year and a half ago with the uh, Venezuelan migrants crossing up into there uh, in the numbers of like 50,000 per month. Uh, so they've been moving further and further westward it's interesting that they jumped right over the laredo sector while they were headed west uh, i guess that the, the migrants still seem to be afraid of los adesos through there so it uh, it doesn't seem to cross quite as much it was it was interesting to look at the numbers the the cbp was bragging about that okay yes that while it may have gone up from february to march Year over year, we are ahead of March of 2022, we're, you know, we're ahead in lower numbers in March of 2021, but they didn't take it one step further to March of 2020, President Donald Trump's last year in office, uh, because that, they would have had to show a 450% increase now between March of this year and March of 2020, President Trump's last March in office.
1: Joining us on 710 KURV is Bob Price from Breitbart, Texas. Davis Rankin, your question. Uh, the, um, um,
3: the biggest, I guess the biggest group of people have been kept south of the border or were through the invocation of something called Title 42, which I think shorthand version is if we think they have some communicable disease, we can keep them at offshore um i don't know for how long well that's going away the biden administration has said it wants to do away with it assuming i'm right about that um is there any intelligence um how likely is it that biden folks will go back and stick it and put it back in because they have been doing some of the stuff mr trump did but also uh there were reports of tens of thousands of people waiting to cross just over the border and i haven't seen that in a while
6: well you're yeah, you're you're exactly right. There's upwards of, of 40,000 people across the border waiting in the El Paso area, uh, Juarez area of Mexico. And so it's very concerning. We have to remember Title 42 is not an immigration policy. It's not a border security policy. It was a health policy created by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention during the Trump administration uh, in reaction to the coronavirus. So you know Congress has officially declared the coronavirus over the president signed that bill you know it would be very difficult logically for them to try to extend that again be, because the conditions for it technically do not exist anymore and and it's weird the way they were applying it anyway they, they were applying title 4 to certain nationalities and not to other nationalities mm. it really became less and less about covid and more about they just didn't have any other way of enforcing the law, and so they would use this to send it back. But the reason we're seeing the big spike again now is because the migrants have figured out there's still no consequence to crossing the border illegally. If you cross the border illegally in, in massive numbers, which is what we're starting to see, you know, where they'll cross in a group of a thousand people at a time in El Paso, um, odds are they're going to let you go, and and so that's what the cartels are are telling people and uh, they're charging them six to eight thousand dollars a piece to bring them across the border and get them smuggled into the united states it's a huge cash cow for for the cartels but uh what but the reality is there's no consequence of any sort by the biden administration to people that cross illegally and so now they figured it out and they're coming back again
1: joining us on 710k is bob price from breitbart texas uh this this leads me to another interesting question about the way the tactics have been kind of changing up from the cartels and they've been using twitter a lot and they've been making these rumors and hey word of mouth you know they're they're secretly just going to let you all in all you got to do is show up at el paso at this day on this time and it's like national we'll let you in day or something like that Mm. uh what what is what has been your experience in in tracking stories like that
6: well, the, the cartels have become masters at, at social media, both for the purpose of recruiting migrants to come to the United States and pay them money, but also in recruiting young people uh, in the state of Texas and elsewhere to smuggle these migrants from the border region into the interior of the United States. And so in, in South Texas and West Texas, we're seeing more and more arrests of of uh, U.S. citizens who are acting as as transport for these cartels, uh, it puts these people at risk and keeps the cartel people off the hook. And you know, if they get caught, it's no skin off the cartels' nose. And if they don't get caught, then they pay the people. Sometimes, sometimes they don't, but pay them for for delivering the migrants to their destination.
1: Another thing uh, to highlight: what kind of people are are coming across the border? Uh, you had mentioned in your article single adults, the unaccompanied children, uh, family units. Th- there's a breakdown there, um, but also something that former Congresswoman Myra Flores had highlighted that we've got some bad actors that are coming across as well. What what is your breakdown?
6: Well, we do have a lot of bad actors. We you know, we see the reports from from Border Patrol sectors every week about. Uh, sex offenders that they've apprehended, former murderers who've been deported, and and they're coming back into the country, um, other types of criminals as well. Uh, in in this month's report, though, we saw a, a a large increase in the number of family units coming across, and also uh, you know that increased fourteen percent, and unaccompanied children, excuse me, new children increased 14% and family units increased 38%. So and the reason I pointed those two categories out is because those are the most expensive to the American taxpayers for the border patrol to process because they have to keep these families to, together where they can uh, they have time restrictions on how fast they have to process them and get them released, and so all of that adds to the cost to the American taxpayer. Many times they're transported across the country at taxpayer expense uh, when CBP re- releases them to these NGOs and and to other places. Um, Davis Rankin,
1: final question. Go ahead.
3: Um, it's a broad question. Who has the president's ear? Who's the last person to speak to President Biden? Who, assuming that he's not paralyzed and not doing anything, who has his ear when it comes to immigration policy?
6: Well, you know, that's pretty unclear at this point. You know, Mayorkas has surprisingly lasted for a very long time in the position, despite his being an abject failure at doing anything to to solve the border crisis. Kamala Harris has certainly not done anything in in that regard. Uh, So it's hard to tell who is advising him on this, but they're not. Well, whoever it is is not giving them advice on how to secure the border and how to stop this flow of migration. Uh, you mentioned the end of Title 42 a little while ago. We, we were, Breitbart's Randy Clark was the first to report a, a Department of Homeland Security r- report that estimated when Title 42 comes to an end, they expect upwards of 18,000 migrant crossings per day. That's over 540,000 per month, which will just Absolutely. You know, we, we had a hard time when it was 220000 a month, so you more than double that, and, and just imagine what the chaos is going to be along the border. Mm-hmm. The Biden administration keeps saying that they have a safe, orderly, and humane process, but it has always been everything but. Safe, orderly, and humane. It's
1: impossible. I, don't it ex- possible. I don't expect a whole lot from uh, Secretary of, of uh, Homeland Security Lex Luthor. I really don't expect a solid <laughs> plan to stop all that coming across. You see, he knew what I was talking about, Dave. Is he it, understands the Lex Luthor <laughs> reference. I have a serious question: Is it possible that what we see
3: is what the Biden administration wants?
1: It this is absolutely is what they
6: want. There, this isn't this isn't a failure of the Biden administration. This is an intentional policy of the Biden administration, and, and we knew that from day one when uh, when they were getting information from CBP officials, the outgoing CBP officials going out, they told them that if you end these policies, this is what's going to happen, and. On day one, Joe Biden came into office and, with a stroke of a pen, eliminated every successful program that Donald Trump had put into place that had reduced border crossing by ninety percent to the point of, in April of twenty twenty, it was down to about nineteen thousand for the entire month. We'll be we'll be lucky if if uh, April of twenty twenty three is under two hundred thousand for the month. So that's that's the difference in, in what the stroke of a pen, intentional stroke absolutely of a pen well, by yeah. Joe Biden has been.
1: Thank, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks a lot for your time. Uh, that's Bob Price from Breitbart, Texas, joining us on Newstalk 710 KURV.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. It's called the Radiopotami app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store. From your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.